What I find that's interesting about pranayama and breath ratios and what we're going to talk about today is that it is a really interesting thing because every day we breathe, right? And we breathe without thinking. And some of you said like, oh, breathing makes me live. Or it is a force. It is grounding. Some of you said it is uh, like what your job is. It's to get your head on straight, right? And some people said that it is um, challenging even, right? Um, what I find interesting about pranayama and what I find interesting about our practices of what we're going to learn today is that even though we breathe automatically, what's the first thing you do when you're freaked out? Hold your breath. What's the first thing that you do if you're anticipating something? Hold your breath. What's the first thing that you do if you're like, this person is such a dumas and I don't want to be sitting here in this room. I want to be outside hanging out in the sunshine. Right. We get like frustrated. We hold it in, right? We get tense and we get really bound up. Um, even when we're daydreaming or sleeping or walking, there's so many things that happen that we don't even realize that this breath that is our life force, sometimes stops. And um, what we want to do is that, just like breathing, our breath is offering us the power, power and energy to live, but when things get overwhelming or stressful or we get anxious, we don't use our breath, we actually kind of hold on to it. And we um, kind of... Uh, protect it in a sense, or we don't use it to the, the advantage that we could, right? We kind of just go blah and flip our lids and go into our animal brain or go into like our fight or flight response. And what we're going to talk about here today is how um, with breathing, not only is it a reflection of how we feel inside and it helps us to relax, but breathing um, helps us to be a better human so that we can really find well-being for a lifetime. Hmm? And that's really, really, really what we're trying to do when we're teaching people and on the mat. As teachers, we have an opportunity to guide and to create an open space for humans to tap into their superpowers. Um, the first quote on the first page it, it comes from um, Thich Nhat Hanh, and I just think it's really powerful. It says, breathing in, I calm my body and mind, and breathing out, I smile. Dwelling in the present moment, I know this is the only moment. So if we really focus on the fact that pranayama is a thing to help us tap into our superpowers and make us siddhas, S-I-D-D-H-A or S-I-D-D-I, um, is something you learn in the Yoga Sutras. But we are all super, and when life gets a little bit heavy, we forget that. And the first thing that goes is actually the thing that makes us have superpowers, which is our pranayama. Uh, in the chart on the first page there, I broke down the Sanskrit and the definition or translation of what pranayama actually means. But it is the fourth of the eight rungs of what we learn in the Yoga Sutras. 
And it says there in Sutra 2.29, regulating the breath so as to make it slow and subtle, 2.50, leading to the experience of the steady flow of energy, which is your prana, which is beyond or underneath exhalation, inhalation, and the transitions between them, 2.51. Because prana or pra resides in your heart. But when your heart is hurting or when you are um, kind of just going through the motions of your day or you are just like running amok, what happens to your heart? Speeds up, right? It's not regulated. It becomes erratic. It becomes kind of like we look on our faces when we're stressed, right? It gets a little constipated and confused. But you have to think about the lungs and what we talk about when we're talking about pranayama is that our lungs are almost cradling our heart. If we really think about it, we have our own back. Because if we breathe proper, properly and we use the prana in the right way, that conscious active breath, we actually allow ourselves to support everything especially our heart. So the definition of prana, to me, also should be like heartwarming or wholeheartedly. You know, it shouldn't just be about like life force, but it's like, are you living from your heart? Are you actually nurturing and cradling and supporting yourself? But when we look at the Sanskrit word of prana, what's that first bullet point say? Right? Vital breath. Vital force. The subtle energy that flows through your body. That inner reservoir of power. What I find interesting, if you keep breaking down the word of prana, pra means the smallest unit or an atom. So the smallest energy, the smallest part of your being is your life force that stems from that breathing that we work so hard to teach as teachers. You will have students who come up to you and say, and they've taken classes with you hundreds of times, and they'll come up to you and say, when I was in triangle pose and you said breathe, like a light bulb went off, you know, like it changed my whole life. It's fascinating to really see what sinks in and how long it takes for people to really be able to drop in and settle in or be grounded in their own body and connected to be able to actually breathe properly, to get the full force of it. I think it's cool. Um, when we get to the um, idea of yama, the Sanskrit um, of yama, the definition could be mastery or control. I like to think of uh, yama meaning to observe or to witness. So you're teaching yourself how to restrain or control the prana, or how to use your life force, or like a superhero, your power for good, so you can soar and fly. And then, when you get to pranayama, it means to extend the vital life force and develop the witness. That comes from the Yoga Sutras. Or conscious breathing. 
What I think is interesting and I put here as the next bullet point is that pranayama is both the science and the art of cleansing the nadis, mm -hmm. which are the little flowing rivers of your nervous system, right? Yogis didn't have like um, microscopes and different kinds of tools and stuff, but they knew that we had flowing rivers of energy and the main intersections of those flowing rivers is what we call chakras, those spinning vortexes. So if there is a disconnection or if something is not functioning properly in your body, it's because those little flowing rivers of energy that yogis didn't know was your central nervous system or your nervous system, parasympathetic and sympathetic, but they knew that if things weren't flowing freely and you had a blockage, you weren't going to function properly. So pranayama was a way to master the nervous system through synchronized breathing to exact changing the rhythm of inhalation and in exhalation. You get to control your prana. Pranayama is the procedure by which conscious control is accomplished through harmonized breathing cleansing the nerve channels along which the life's dream of prana flows, and it aids in preventing and even curing a range of physical and mental ailments. And this is what we're figuring out now through science. Yogis didn't know that. They just saw positive results when you started using breath ratios and pranayama practices. How many of you, as you've been sitting with that strap, feel like it's an annoyance? A little bit. Yeah. A little bit? How many of you feel it's made you more aware of your breathing? A lot. Ah, good. Okay. How many of you have felt your ribs and your body breathing, the entire circumference of your universe breathing better? Or how many of you have it's like slid all the way down? It slid. I forgot I had it. You forgot you had it? It slid. Okay. Very, very good. I love that. Okay, so this is an interesting thing. I'm, I was playing a trick on all of you, right? This is your first little experiment, okay? This is a yoga therapy technique to see if you're truly breathing fully. Because a lot of people, when they get life, or you're all listening to me, right? So you're kind of, your mind is busy. Usually your breath or your um, energy goes up here and it doesn't stay in your whole person, right? So just, we're gonna partner up. Go two and two and two and let's say two and two. Two, 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 two. Stand with your partner, will you be my partner? So my partner's Your breathing. So let's just do a couple 
Um, partner up, and I'll guide you through it. So if our breathing is the most profound um, tool for health, growth, and change, and it's the exchange of old air for new, how many of you realize that that exercise was kind of like a little light bulb or eye-opening because you don't always take a deep breath? Yeah. How many of you notice your friends only breathing into their chest, like the front of their body? How many people notice their friends' shoulders rising and falling versus their entire torso expanding and contracting? Right? It was interesting. That experiment really shows you how doing a yogic breath, that purposeful, conscious, active breath in and out through the nose, allows you to get your body to create space. So when we breathe, you're using your diaphragm, right? But most people think when you're taking a breath, it's your lungs. When you're using your diaphragm, it's like a blanket over your organs and it separates your chest cavity where your lungs are located from your abdominal cavity. And it massages all of your internal organs. The diaphragm is attached to the internal organs, so yogis believe you come into homeostasis or balance when you breathe properly. That you don't have to do any other kind of exercise or physical activity because the breath makes you whole and the breath makes you balanced. The diaphragm activates your central nervous system because it's attached to your T12 and it massages all of those nerves and it as it massages the internal organs. And it kind of gives a little nudge or a kiss to your heart. So when you inhale and breathe in, you tense your diaphragm and your chest gets larger and makes your lungs get bigger like a balloon. Okay? When you exhale, your diaphragm releases and it's not tense anymore and your chest decreases and your lungs release air. Your intercostal muscles and ribs help with this process, but that's not what doing the work, right? So when people say core strength, I always find that a little bit challenging because really it's all about the breath. Because if you're breathing properly, that strength is there. You don't have to have six-pack or eight-pack abs, right? It's really coming from your core strength is coming from your breath capacity. And when we breathe and we're exchanging air, you are allowing yourself to release cortisol and you're creating that victorious breath, your ujjayi breath, to bring in serotonin, which is the happy hormone, to calm you down. So you're really working on finding balance. Yogis don't count their life by the number of years, thank God. Okay? Right. We count our life by the numbers of breath. So before we do our next little exercise or experiment with deep diaphragmatic breathing that creates optimism and is like positive psychology, especially for people who are suffering from traumatic issues, breathing is a great practice for humans. Uh, but um, I wanted to read you something which is my favorite like Upanishad story about the breath. And it, there once was a dispute between the eyes, the ears, speech, mind, and the breath as to who was the most important. So to find out which one was the greatest, 
They each decided to take a year off from working. First, the tongue went off, leaving the body without speech for a year. The eyes were next, leaving the body blind for a year. And then the ears were off next, leaving the body deaf for a year. When the ears returned, the mind left, leaving the body a simpleton for a year. And then the breath's turn was next to leave the body. And when it departed, the tongue lost its power of speech. The eyes lost their power to see. The ears lost their ability to hear. And the mind lost its intelligence. So come back, come back, they cried to the breath. For you are the greatest among us. And the breath returned, and the body became whole again. It's like a little violin playing, right? It's so poignant. <laughs> but this constant act of breath not only helps our everything function, but in a lot of ways it teaches us how to be proactive versus reactive. If we're stressed out and holding our breath, we go right into fight or flight, right? You know, those jabbing words or that running away from a challenging situation. But if we really tap into our breath, and we're settled in our bodies and our minds, we can find um, radical kindness. We can find that we can be less reactive and more responsive in challenging life circumstances. So although today is about pranayama, today is really, really, really about the idea of, bless you, how breath makes you a better human. How breath and what you teach when you teach yoga, everybody's body's different, everybody's alignment's different, everybody's practice is going to be totally different. But you as teachers are teaching people how to tap into and witness their life force and breathe so that they don't get caught up in their thoughts and they can be able to be more stable and um, aware and more authentic in their experiences off the mat. Two little violins, <laughs> right? So we have this awesome opportunity to kind of be a catalyst for change. To help people not just align in their bodies physically, so their central nervous system works better and their brain works better, but to literally align in their um, life, their experiences on this earth. So that when we... Um, talk about the Yoga Sutras or the idea of breath, Patanjali always describes pranayama as a process by which you can break your unconscious breathing pattern and make the breath long, easeful, and smooth. And that's on your first page. So that long, easeful, and smooth thing enhances your physical, mental, and emotional, and well-being. It's not just for like oh, I'm doing yoga and I'm coming to a yoga class and I'm going to get like a strong physique. It's so much deeper than that. With the yoga movements, our breath acts as a bridge between the body and the mind. And that prana, that life force, is a tool and, and a, a powerful thing to help you to kind of make your superhuman machine more efficient which is awesome. If you turn from the first page that I handed out to you, 
Um, it goes through the props that we're going to work with today and questions about like, um, you know, if you want to do a journaling thing, like what does it really feel like when you are not breathing properly? When you're not breathing properly, a lot of times when you're, stressed, bless you, when you're stressed, this leads to a buildup of oxygen in the bloodstream and a corresponding decrease in the relative amount of carbon dioxide, which in turn upsets your acid alkaline balance or your pH level of the blood. And this condition, which is respiratory al alkalosis, can result in um, twitching, nausea, irritability, lightheadedness, confusion, depression, fear, anxiety. And so when we work on our pranayama and our breath ratios, we're slowing and um, allowing the um, body to uh, get into not an acidic state. And right now our culture is like, we hear it a lot, suffering from inflammation and all kinds of stuff like that. It's because people aren't breathing properly, right? So if we become in a more balanced state, our parasympathetic nervous system calms and soothes us in a variety of ways, including telling the vagus nerve, V-A-G-U-S, not like um, Las Vegas, but V-A-G-U-S, to secrete um, something that lowers your heart rate. That's pretty cool. So you have a Kleenex. This, God bless you. This leads to my next thing. This is a great tool to use with people. You can try it at home. If you don't have a Kleenex, um, uh, you can use your hand and pretend you're fogging it up like a mirror. Bless you. Uh, when you get into this state of like acidic or inflamed or you're not breathing properly and you're stressed, it leads to um, ADD, ADHD, asthma, diabetes. Um, it, it, get, it really kind of alters your entire body uh, and your mind. We're trying as yogis, when we're doing pranayama, not only just to realize that we're like using this as a grounding thing to become supercharged, but this example that I'm going to show you teaches you the difference between cortisol, which comes when we are breathing through our mouth, and how to trigger our parasympathetic nervous system by breathing through the nose. So you take your Kleenex and you put it out in front of you like a curtain. All right, but like a hand's width away, not too far away, because you're going to have to work a little harder. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Inhale through the nose. Oh my gosh, I wish I had a video of this. And exhale through the mouth and blow your curtain. Okay. Inhale through the nose. And exhale through the mouth and blow your curtain again. That's really cool. Inhale through the nose. And now exhale through the nose. Try it again. Inhale through the nose. And exhale through the nose. Cool. One more time. Inhale through the nose. And exhale through the nose. Fantastic. Okay. So you can use the Kleenex if you got a boogie. But um, what did you notice between breathing through the nose and breathing through the mouth? The curtain didn't move as much when you were breathing through the nostrils because it was harder, right? What did you feel in your body? 
The belly was working more when you had to breathe through the nose. Parasympathetic is nose breathing. That's what we teach. So that's your first pranayama lesson. You're trying to breathe in and out through the nose. Sympath when you breathe through the mouth, it's great for animals because it cools them down. When you breathe through the mouth as humans, it creates a production of cortisol, which is something that's a stressor. So you're actually overtaxing your body. So you're trying to breathe through your nostrils when you practice yoga. And that's one of the first things that we learn in pranayama practice. That ujjayi pranayama, that victory over the mind, that victorious breath, where people sometimes say have a Darth Vader sound. You don't have to make a loud noise when you're breathing. But you do need to find that ujjayi, that deep, victorious breath. It's not through the mouth. It's through the nose. Yes? No. Yeah. It's, and it's really hard because if someone has like allergies or has a deviated septum, um, it makes it a little bit more challenging, but that's what we really have to work on. Alternate nostril breathing is one of the pranayama practices we're going to try today. And alternate nostril breathing is uh, a way to get you from out of one hemisphere of the brain into the other. What happens is every 90 to 120 minutes, we breathe through one nostril or the other, which means that your left nostril is attached to your right hemisphere of the brain. Your right nostril is attached to the left hemisphere of the brain. Each hemisphere of the brain triggers a different effect in your body. One is like reasoning and logic and analytic things, and the other side of your brain is airy-fairy creative. And what you're trying to do is not breathe out of one nostril, but yoga, balancing yoga, is about balance and harmony, right? To get out of the pain and suffering and to find equanimity. So we want to be able to breathe through both nostrils through our practice. Everybody's just like, what? Is it too hot in here? Are you freaking? Everybody's okay? I do have a question. Yeah. So, um, I have the sign Right, but if you're inhaling through the mouth, that's what we don't want. That's the cortisol production. So smell in the flowers, right? But blow out the candles is fine. Okay? And that's how you can teach kids how to breathe. Inhale, smell the flowers, right? Exhale, blow out the candles. But if you're inhaling and exhaling and through the mouth, that's going to trigger the cortisol production. Yes. Yeah. You hyperventilate, and that's when you get that dizzy, nausea, twitching, kind of freaked out feeling, right? Yep. That's what we're talking about today, which is really awesome. Oh, okay. Yeah, so there's all these different breathing practices. If you go into, um, like, a uh, 
if you go in, say, to like a really um, intense uh, yoga philosophy study practice where you're like in an Eastern culture, they're going to tell you there are like seven or eight pranayama practices, right? But I'm going to give you a bunch of different things that we can the, on your sheets that you have in these handouts. But one of them they talk about is the bellows breath, the um, bakstra pranayama. And then they say the next one would be alternate nostril breathing. And then they talk about kapalabhati, breath of fire. And then they go to the um, brahmari, which is calming down of the mind. And then shitali, which we're going to do today because it's kind of hot in here. We'll try that. And then the um, ujjayi pranayama, that victorious breath, is kind of what we do when we practice a vinyasa practice. And um, they have another one called vidani bandha, which isn't really practiced that often. But if you look at your um, second sheet where it says pranayama and breath ratios, all we're doing is um, trying to find that the, all those are listed under the set on the second sheet, pranayama and breath ratios. It's the last little arrow. All we want to really remember is that pranayama is considered the most important and fundamental thing in your practice, and it increases the vital life force through your body. It has a profound effect on releasing pain and suffering and opening one up to harmony, awakening freedom, radiance, delight, and compassion. When we're doing this, we're really trying to teach ourselves how to find a steady and easeful state. And it ties really good into the idea of hatha yoga, right? Because ha and ta, the balance of the sun and the moon, is one of the definitions in Sanskrit is forceful. And that's on your second page, force or masterful. So you're teaching students, and because everybody here is in a different way, and all of us are in this room, and we have um, almost 20 people in here, we all have a different way that we're going to understand what breath is. We're all going to have a different way of what kind of sparks us to be like, oh, I get this, right? So what we're trying to do is really teach different modalities to have people find pranayama or breath ratio. And you're going to have to experiment with all kinds of different things when you're working with your students because something that resonates with me might not resonate with you guys, right? And that's what's so interesting about it because you have to see each person for each individual person even if you have 60 people that show up to your class. When we go into the idea of benefits, there's so many benefits of pranayama. I um, put a bunch of different benefits on there. But the idea of healing even or preventing cancer, blood pressure, anxiety, stomach disorders, um, heart problems, uh, you're allowing your um, pranayama to uh, help your neurological, cardiovascular, even your psychic system, so that on an energetic level, like Donna Farai's quote on the front says, it's, it's amazing 
how therapeutic breathing is. So if someone says to you, I don't practice yoga because I'm a larger body, or I don't practice yoga because I am a paraplegic, or I don't practice yoga because I don't believe in it from a religious perspective, you know, I, I have a, a challenge with it. If you teach breathing practices, that's yoga. And you just don't have to say it's about its movements, right? You can find a way to ease people into yoga without even having to physically stand in an asana, which I think is really cool. So then the next page starts with fun breathing activities and exercises to try with your students. We tried the little curtain thing where you um, use the um, Kleenex to show someone how to create space. That's a simple thing. If you're working with kids, you can do straw and cotton ball races. You can even do their feather passing because then you're actually getting them to find an exhale, right? It's very easy, we talked about this in the beginning, to inhale and hold our breath, right? When we get inspired or when we get excited, even when we're freaked out, we go, <gasps> But we don't often find the exhale, and that's why, like, straw and cotton ball races or feather passing are really easy things. Um, bellows breaths are really easy to do, um, especially if you're working with, like, older adults or people. So let's just try one. Bring your hands in front of your heart. Inhale, breathe in through the nose. Exhale, interlace your fingers, press all the air out as you push your hands down towards the belly button. Good, and then inhale, reach up as high as your arms will go. Fill yourself up as light as a balloon, and exhale, let everything out. So you get the gist of that one, right? It's fun, yeah? Oh uh, yeah, it's warm in here. All right, let's try another one that works really well with kids and adults, especially if you're beginning a yoga practice. So if you lay down, so it's a more physically engaged pranayama practice. You're laying down, you're nice and calm. That's your inhale. You're as big as a balloon, and you're relaxed. And now exhale and hollow out your belly, bring your knees to your chest and get really small. Good, inhale, fill yourself up, breathe in, breathe in, breathe in, create space. And then exhale, let everything go and hollow out your belly. See, you can make it fun. Inhale, open, 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 fill yourself up. And then exhale, let all that yourself relaxing. Ah, take one hand to your tummy, one hand to your heart. I like to call these your super buttons. If you take your thumb to an index finger of the hand that's on the top near your collarbones and press them where the collarbones ends, kind of near the sternum, and then the hand is on your tummy. You're kind of giving yourself space to allow your body to realign and tap into memory and ease. 
And we're going to do something called the Durga breath or the three-part breath. And this is a go-to breath for adults and kids. Exhale all the air out through your toes. Inhaling belly, lungs, ribs. Exhale ribs, lungs, belly. Inhaling belly, lungs, ribs. Exhaling ribs, lungs, and belly. Again, one, two, three, three, two, one, one, two, three, four, four, three, two, one, one, two, three, four, four, three, two, one. And gently reach your arms back behind you and subtly bend your knees to your chest as you roll over to the right side, press yourself back up. That breath exercise that you just did showed two different things for you. Or actually three. By having your back on the ground, for people who are suffering from anxiety, that pranayama practice makes you feel supported because someone has your back heart. And then you can breathe into the floor and it's very nurturing. Okay? The other thing that that breath shows you is that I counted, right? Not only was I just doing belly, lungs, ribs, ribs, lungs, belly, but then I started counting. So you can count the breath. So it's a one-to-one -one ratio. And part of breath ratio practice is ultimately we're trying to have an inhale for one, and exhale for two. So your inhales are shorter than your exhales, right? But we had a one-to-one -one ratio, okay? And then the final thing that I showed you was um, uh, by having the um, uh, three-part breath. That's like the first breath that you usually teach your students is to do the um, Get the diaphragm not to just think about it being in the center of your body or to think about the breath being your lungs, because that's what people usually think about, but to get that conscious active breath with your diaphragm by going belly, lungs, ribs, ribs, lungs, belly, because we're really trying to teach that three-part breath. And it's called an integral or integrated breath. And the spelling of it, it's under the animal noise things where it says the go-to breath bullet point mm -hmm. is the three-part breath or Durga, D-I-R-G-A. I've also seen it D-U-R-G-A. It's hard because when you translate an ancient language like Sanskrit to uh, English, there's so many different definitions. But that's the Durga breath. Another thing that works really well um, 
whether you're going to a nursing home and working with elderly people or you're going and working with a bunch of little kids is uh, and you can also do this and I'm sure you've done it in classes here where you've done like a lion's breath where a lion's roar <sighs> right it's actually a real yoga breath but it releases anxiety because it triggers your vagus nerve and triggers your parasympathetic nervous system to kick in. But roaring like a lion, um, being a whale, sniffing like a bunny, um, roar, uh, laugh like a donkey, uh, hiss like a snake, those are all things that you can kind of play around with. It's fun. So those are all the exhales. Yes, different ways to play around. But we're going to try Kapalabhati or uh, Pranayama or Skull Shining Breath, which is a great breath practice. Um, the reason I had the block is because the block elevates your uh, ass so that you're higher than your knees. Your knees go out, your feet come into a comfortable position. And if this isn't good for your knees, you can also find hero's pose where your knees are forward and your heels are back, but you want your hips higher than your knees so that you can sit here. Um, every exhale in Kapalabhati, which means sun, uh, skull shining or breath of fire, um, every exhale is really forceful, as if the belly button is pressing the back of the spine like you have kind of like got the wind pushed out of you. Every inhale is really open and effective. And you can see I wrote down here, you're influencing the organs of the abdominal area to like kind of activate. This is really great for digestion, acidity, constipation, diabetes, stomach problems, snoring, depression, because it's energizing. So it's really activating your entire um, central nervous system, all your chakras, all your nadis. They do this a lot in the end of hot yoga practices in the States. Um, we don't often do this in like a unheated space unless your teacher wants to kind of wake you up. You don't want to do this at the end of the day before you go to bed because you won't be able to sleep. Okay? So every exhale is forceful, every inhale becomes automatic. Now, in, in the States right now, they're doing it through the breath. It is actually taught through the nostrils so that you sound like a little bunny. So with little kids, we call it bunny breath. And it's like... In the States, if you're teaching it, you don't want people to get, you know, when, sorry, when you put lipstick on, red lipstick, and sometimes people get those lines and the, the red lipstick goes up and the line, it's because you pierce your lips, it's like smoker's lips. So you don't want people to have smoker's lips. You want them to have them really relaxed, like you just kissed your favorite person. And you're like the Olsen twins when they, I read this once, for Instagram, when they get posed for a picture on Instagram, they go prunes. So say prunes. Okay, see how your lips are really relaxed? That's how you want to do Kapalabhati. You'll have students who start going like this. <laughs> and their shoulders are moving and their lips are really tight and that's exactly the opposite of what we want to do, right? We want to have our exhale forceful, our inhale automatic. So it's kind of like a one-to-one -one ratio. Exhale all the air out, just like a sigh of relief. 
Your shoulders don't move, your belly does move. Let's do the first set through the mouth. Exhale's automatic, right? So it's really just an inhale that you're creating. Exhale all the air out again. Inhale, breathe in. And let's begin. Five, four, three, two, one, and done. Okay, lick your lips, wet your mouth. You also want to touch your tongue to the lower teeth because you can get plaque buildup, and then your dentist scrapes a lot, so you want to kind of relax your teeth, uh, your tongue there. Now we're going to do the same thing, but through the nose. Is everybody okay? Mm -hmm. so okay. When you were, when were you breathing in through the mouth or the nose there? In a perfect world, you're breathing in through the nose, but it just depends on how uh, attuned your system is to the breath. Because now we're going to do it just through the nose, so our mouth is going to be closed. Good question. Everybody's okay? Okay. Exhale's forceful, inhale's automatic. Let all the air out. Inhale, breathe in. And let's begin. Five, four, three, two, one. Take some breaths, just relax. I always tell people if they wanna really have a good inversion practice that they need to do that deep pranayama from their belly. That, so Kapalabhati is great. Um, in Kundalini practices, it's a huge one. Um, we, they do it in Ego Eradicator, they do it in a lot of their practices to get the system to wake up. Uh, does everybody feel okay? Are you saying you can do that while inverting? Or good inversion? No, the reason you're, you do it like we're sitting right here, but it tones your um, diaphragm so that inversion practices become easier. Most people in inversion practices push, but I want, in inversion it's from the center, right? Because your hands are your feet, your feet are your hands, so you're finding that central place. So I always tell people if you want to really feel solid in inversion practices, practice breath of fire because then you'll be able to feel calm and strong when you're in inversion. Yeah. But in kundalini practices, when you're doing poses, you are literally doing breath of fire. Like over and over and over and over again. So yeah, it's very energizing. Everybody feels comfortable with that one? Okay, uh, alternate nostril breathing, I like to call it dolphin breath, analoma, viloma, pranayama, uh, is sometimes done for 10 minutes. There's different ways that you can hold your hands. Some people just say index finger here, some people say two piece signs here, some people say you're supposed to use your pinky, other people say you're supposed to use like two fingers and your thumb. So it really, it just depends on who your teacher is and what you feel really comfortable with. Because we're, uh, you know, like don't have lots of time as we're doing all of these different breath exercises, let's just play around with the dolphin breath and pretend we're kids. Okay? Open your arms out wide, make sure you're not going to hit someone. All right, 
So what you're doing here is you are in a comfortable position. You're going to hold your right nostril with your thumb or your index finger, right? We're using our index finger today. And you're breathing in from the left nostril. Next, you close your left nostril with your pinky and your ring finger. Today we're doing the index finger and you open the right nostril and you breathe through the right nostril. Now inhale through the right nostril. Close it up. Exhale through the left. Inhale through the left, close it up, exhale through the right. Inhale through the right, close it up, exhale through the left. Inhale through the left, close it up, exhale through the right. Inhale through the right, close it up. Exhale through the left. Release your hands. Feel yourself calm. So this brain balance, uh, this is a brain balancing breath, so it helps to get the hemispheres of the brain to be more integrated. And a lot of people believe this helps arthritis, migraine pain, asthma, and all kinds of interesting things. Everybody's okay? I feel like that creates more pain. Yes. So a lot of people hate that. A lot of people hate doing alternate acid breathing. That's why I try to teach it fun at first and then get a little bit more advanced. Because what happens is, is then, then you start doing breath ratio practices where you're like, exhale through, if you want to do me more invigorating, then you like switch and you start through the right side and then you hold it and then you exhale and then you hold it. And, it, and you can do like loop-de-loops and crazy things with it. But a lot of people who are suffering from anxiety or have... ...make people very freaked out. So you have to be really, really mindful about how you use these breathing exercises because people's nervous systems are so sensitive. Mm. Uh, I just had a friend whose brother had a nasal or a sinus surgery that went bad and not breathe through his nose at all. Oh. And has it for months, and it has literally made Suicidal. Yep. Just not, not everybody knows it's your breath So, yep. No. Uh uh. And the doctors might not even think that that's the reason. And then they're saying, okay, we're just going to give them meds. And then you're taking meds. And then the meds aren't going to really help with the neurological system. It might be a placebo or a kind of damper it, but it's still affecting it. I hope he's getting something fixed. Pretty wild, huh? Just how this whole thing kind of happens. Uh, all right. Some of you said you're warm, so the next breath, when you flip the page where it says Sitali or Shitali or Shitali, there's so many different ways to say this. This pranayama breathing exercise is called the cooling breath. It improves focus, uh, reduces agitation, anger, anxiety, and it pacifies um, the heat in your system. So a lot of times they tell women who are going through the change to do this. <laughs> the pause. Okay, so what happens is when you tell someone to do this too, they start getting anxious. The, um, you're supposed to make your tongue into this really interesting shape. But it's basically like you're sipping through a straw, right? So your tongue makes a circle. 
and you're breathing through your tongue. But a lot of people get totally wigged out by that. So let's just pretend we're sipping through a straw. Same thing, say like more like prunes versus like pin, pin, pinching up your lips. So have your lips be really relaxed. As you exhale all the air out and you're in a comfortable position, begin to take and um, just relax. And then inhale, breathe in. You can close your eyes. Feel that cooling air filling up your mouth. And then exhale, blow out. Inhale, cooling. Exhale, blowing it out. Inhale, cooling. Exhale, blowing it out. And then just relax. We live in Minnesota, so we don't really need to use this, right? Just go outside, you can get cooled off, right? But a lot of times if you are in a space and you really need to just kind of calm down for a second and cool off for a second, that uh, breath work really works well. I was taught this in an energizing breath. Okay. Fatigue, and it really helped me a lot in the last few weeks. Fantastic. So it's the cooling air through your tongue, and there's like a whole um, generation of That's great. Yeah. You're, it's giving you tension? Because if you work so hard on the jaw, I feel it's all tense out on my jaw. So I feel like for people who have TMJ issue, probably not a good one. But that's why I'm saying you can pretend you don't have to get your tongue into that position if you don't want to. You can just, you know, like just relax your lips, but that kind of mindful inhale and exhale is used to cool. Remember, we have to really look at everybody for what they are. That's the whole thing about this somatic practice is that we all have such different persons. And we also have such different mentalities that we really have to see each individual for their own individual whole. Um, Soham is a good one-to-one -one ratio practice and hopefully ends, uh, starts to become a one-to-two ratio practice where you inhale so and exhale hum. And this is a Sanskrit mantra meaning I am that, which comes from an Upanishad story and it represents the connectedness of all beings and it's a really powerful mantra that helps to expand your consciousness. So if you're having a hard time breathing or if you're having a hard time focusing and you need something to plant a seed in your brain, inhale soul and exhale hum. But remember, you're not like saying these things. It's just a mantra. 
You're not actually going so hum, so hum, right? It's just, you're, it's a silent meditation. It's a mantra practice. Inhaling so, exhaling hum. But what happens is, is that we're, it, it's a great way when you hum, it's a great way to kind of get that one to two ratio that we're hoping to attain. Um, counting the breath, I showed you through that Durga practice. You can also use with like um, children or um, elderly people in nursing homes, sometimes timing the breath, just saying I'm gonna set a timer for a minute and just count the breaths. That is a really good way for people to drop into awareness and pay attention. Um, I believe that Om is kind of the building of a Durga Pranayama, um, where the breath is continuous, inhaled and exhaled through the nose, but you're just going, uh, you're actually saying Om through the mouth. So in America, we always say O-M, but um, when you take Yoga Sutras with me, it's A-U-M. 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 And then space. That's that little dot in your OM symbol, the Sanskrit OM symbol. So if we would like to try one simple exhale together before we go to another breathing exercise, you're just inhaling and breathing in. Exhale, let all the air out. Good, inhale, breathe in. And now let out from the bottom. Ah. space and then you inhale and breathe in again but it's teaching that three-part breath ah, ooh, mm, space and then inhale ah, ooh, mm. so is that also called a mantra that yeah that's a mantra practice yeah because it's ah, ooh, mm. some mantras are local and others are just internal yeah mm -hmm. yep and some mantras are like japa practice when you're doing it internal, but you're here. And then you've seen like Tibetan people do Om Mani Padme Om. That's an external mantra. It just depends. Yeah. There's, I mean, you know, we do a tech and it seems like such a short amount of time to really dive deep into a subject. There's so much. There's a veritable plethora of excitement, you know, and interesting things that happen once you start peeling away the layers and really dive deep into a subject matter. It just never stops. I mean, I've been practicing yoga since I was a teenager, and I feel like I'm just a newbie, you know, and I learn so much from all of you that I'm like, I, every day is a new uh, opportunity for learning more about a subject. Uh, the cool thing about uh, the Aum practice, I think, is that it really creates space for the listening. And when you define Durga, and it says here in the three-part breath thing, it means slow and deep and complete. So you're really giving yourself space to be complete. Whereas when you're nervous or anxious or really not focused, 
I'll ohm a lot in the car because it allows me to get back into my body if I've been running from place to place. Then we start kind of going into, I put some on 19, I have some stuff there on the idea of um, the different breath exercises. We just played one little um, yoga therapy trick, but in soma yoga and yoga therapy practices, they do all kinds of different things and just having this strap around your um, you know, uh, midsection to feel if you're actually breathing. So if you ever want to start diving deeper into any yoga therapy stuff, I highly recommend it because that's a great evolution of a, you know, from yoga teacher to then going deeper into maybe like private practice or working one-on-one -on -one with people and having them really feel their breath and where they need to uh, kind of rearrange their breathing if they're not breathing properly. Uh, pranayama practices of breath ratios are so different. Um, one thing that is on the front of your first sheet is that when you're doing pranayama and breath ratio practice, you're tying into something called the kumbha or kumbhaka. And kumbha is a human torso. Uh, that's the traditional image of kumbha, but it means a pot. So like if you think about it, a lot of times people say your spine is the dharma, and dharma means pillar, and your body is the kumbha or the pot, and you're creating um, space for the breath to move through so that you have two openings at the throat and at the, um, the pelvis. So like women have cervixes, so they say that you have like a cervix in both ends of your pot. But kumbha is um, the pause. And a lot of times when you're teaching a yoga practice, you're not going to do these breath ratio practices or talk about the, 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 the holding or the pause. Because this is another thing that really can trigger anxiety in a lot of individuals. That's exactly what you don't want. You want people to come to the mat to create space so they can drop into awareness, and once they start evolving, then they can start playing around with these breath ratio practices. So when you're working with pranayama practices and working with the kumbha, you're gradually increasing your exhale until it's twice the length of your inhale, because this has a profound effect on your nervous system. So, so you could do the one to two ratio, you could start to do inhale for one, hold it for four, exhale for two, and start playing around with that. If you flip the page, there is um, uh, number four, which I just want to say is really, really, really what you're trying to do, and this is the most important. Breath awareness, basic breath awareness, basic pranayama awareness is observing the breath without judgment. And that's what yoga should be about. It's a moving meditation. It's moment-to-moment -moment awareness. If you start layering in right away to a new student, kumbhaka and like alternate nostril breathing and breath of fire, you will have no students. <laughs> Zilch, zero, none. If you talk about ujjayi pranayama, that is not scary, right? If you talk about take a deep breath, 
that is not scary. But you have to really know that a lot of things that we're talking about today are advanced practices that you're not going to add in to your sequences until students are ready. And that's that second phase. That's like you guys, guys girls, women, uh, you know, like people who are taking teacher trainings. You came to the mat, right, to learn. You liked it. And now you're diving deeper, right? So you're on that phase and evolution. You're ready for this. But it took time to get to this spot. You weren't like going like, I'm going to go take yoga study training after doing yoga for a day because if you are, I would like some of your money. And, you know, like, because you signed up not really knowing what yoga is, but you were able to do it. But you know what I'm saying? Like, usually people come to the mat knowing and are ready to learn more. And then these practices, you'll start incorporating into your experiences. You might not do as much physical asana because pranayama is that next step, that fourth rung on the ladder. So you're going from your gross to the more physical practice to the more internal. Pranayama is that segue and pathway into the meditative states of your practice that lead to samash, samash, uh, samash, samadhi. I'm tongue-tied. So that when we go to this final idea of breath ratios for pranayama, you can play around in number five. Inhale, holding, exhale, holding, and then that shows you the results. So I gave you a chart that gives you some examples. The most profound breathwork practice that I've ever tried is a breathing practice called Turiya, T-O-R-I-L-L-A. And it, it's a state of balance that means the fourth. It's the most harmonious, luminous, or sattvic state in your an Ayurvedic practice. So you inhale for four, you hold it for eight. You exhale for eight, you hold it for 16. And you keep doing that. That's a little bit intense, right? So that you're really focusing on uh, being present, and that really clears a lot of your nadis and your channels, but you have to be ready for it. The last two pages are redundant. They are just, if you didn't uh, understand the way I was communicating, it's written out on how to do these practices. When you come to the mat and you are practicing yoga, you are creating wholeness, right? And breath is life. And it allows us to um, really do some amazing things. And I feel like when we tap into pranayama, we have to remember that this voluntary cessation of breath has been given higher importance than any other yogic exercise um, to attain samadhi. All this yogic writings, all the yogic doctrines, all the yogic philosophy really is leading you to use the breath to open up to that harmonious state of being and find balance in your experiences in this world. The asanas are cool and they look cool in pictures, but our entire practice 
is really to tap into our amazing human machine. Our inhales and our exhales power us, and they allow us to really be incredible, incredible individuals. Um, and just like the quote that I started with in the beginning, breathing in, I calm my body and mind, and breathing out, I smile, dwelling in the present moment, I know that this is the only moment. That is what you teach when you're teaching pranayama. How to really experience um, your life so that just like a lotus flower that comes out of the murk and the mire, your day might be caca. It might have really sucked. But if you use your breathing practices, you, like the lotus flower, can come out of that ickies and the stress and the anxieties or the overwhelming sensations, and you can blossom 10,000-fold and look as beautiful and as radiant as that flower. Right? Coolio. We were able to accomplish everything. Um, as you come and sit in flower pose or lotus flower pose, we call it sukhasana or easy pose. Why don't we all go around and say one word that we think pranayama is? Love. Force. Force. Life. Inspiring. Peacemaking. Powerful. Oh, keep going. I can only see one more, so go. Yes. <clears throat> Harmonizing. Fantastic. Uh, as your hands come in front of your chest, you are showing the balance you create in your brain, right? When you breathe. And when your hands are in front of your chest, you're holding the preciousness of your heart because you are all beacons of bright light, right? It was an honor and true privilege to be with all of you here today. I hope you have an amazing, amazing rest of your afternoon. And keep learning. Namaste. And may the merits of your practice benefit all beings.